This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. Last week, a history-making Labor ministry was officially sworn in. Members of the newly announced Labor ministry are making the chilly journey to Yarralumla this morning, where they'll be sworn in as members of Anthony Albanese's new cabinet. It includes Australia's first Muslim ministers and the first Aboriginal woman in cabinet. It's actually really, really exciting. We knew coming into this election that this was shaping up to be uh, probably the most culturally diverse uh, federal election we've ever seen in this country. According to experts, Australia's most culturally diverse parliament in history was elected from an even more diverse field of candidates. The really outstanding party was the Greens. They had 26 candidates of colour and uh, 17 were First Nations people. So that's 65% of Greens candidates were First Nations people. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that in the history of federal politics. Some analysis shows that about 8% of the House and 20% of the Senate will now comprise of culturally diverse and Indigenous politicians. However, this still doesn't represent Australia's population. Today, I speak to two experts and Labor Party member Tu Lee about why it took so long for Australia's parliament to look more like its people. It's Monday, the 6th of June. Okay, I'll just get you both to introduce yourselves, your name, um, your role, where you work, and anything about yourself that you want to say. I'm Kat Henaway. I'm a descendant of the Mayor and Moor peoples of the Torres Strait Islands. I am also founder of Politics in Colour. I started the company in 2020. Uh, I was um, working on workshops to teach people how to get elected. Hey, uh, so my name is Tarini Rowett. I am the CEO and founder of Allies in Colour. And one of the initiatives of Allies in Colour is the Centre of Multicultural Political Engagement, Literacy and Leadership, uh, for short, COMPEL with a double L. So I am originally from Singapore. I've always been interested in politics. Tarini and I met uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, she reached out to me via LinkedIn and so we started talking and realised that we were both incredibly passionate about amplifying the voices of people of colour in politics in Australia. So, Tarini, you did some analysis on the diversity of this new parliament and found that 8% of MPs in the House of Representatives were from diverse backgrounds and that includes First Nations people. Is that enough? No, it's pathetic. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'll keep repeating it until we reach parity. I just would like to quote the Australian Human Rights Commission. One in four of Australia's 22 million people were born overseas. Okay. And 46% have at least one parent was who was born overseas. I mean, compare that to us having just a mere 8%. We need to keep reminding people that it's a problem. We need to keep the outrage going, that that, that isn't enough diversity in parliament. Otherwise, I, I fear that people will get too comfortable and say, oh, 8%, you know, it's good enough. It's better than before, so that's good enough. We need more people in there to share the load. Yeah, I think she's right. Um, 8% is very small. 
2022. If you compare that to Biden's Congress in 2020, they had the most diverse Congress in history. So they had 23% of diverse representation. Mm. So we've got, we still have a long way to go. Mm. I mean, why is it only 8%? You've both worked with people in the community who want to run for politics, who are people of colour. You've encouraged people to run. What are the barriers that people face getting into federal politics particularly? Yeah, I think some of the barriers are the pre-selection process for the major parties. So many Indigenous people were pre-selected to run, uh, but a huge majority of them were in marginal or unwinnable seats. Mm. So it's really great to see the volume of Indigenous people choosing to run for office. However, we need to see the major political parties uh, pre-selecting Indigenous candidates and candidates of colour for winnable seats. I think that will have huge impact. The other key barriers will be racial discrimination and finances. On that point of finances, I think a lot of the successful independent campaigns during this election were white, wealthy politicians. Is there a financial barrier for people of colour to run for politics outside of those support systems of the major parties, to run as an independent? I mean, the Teal candidates still needed the likes of Simon Holmes Accord to financially back them. They still needed public and it's not just any kind of public, they're wealthy, wealthy people in their electorate to fund them in order to be successful. What chance does a person of colour or an Indigenous person have to compete with the likes of them? Do they have the, the kind of networks that these wealthy candidates have got? If you talk about people of colour, obviously it's it's a very general term and, you know, underneath that you've got the migrant communities, you've got people from the refugee background. They are struggling to even get proper employment. Teal candidates are a, a, are a great blueprint for what other wealthy white women should do to get elected. But they are, they're not a blueprint for multicultural Australians. And if there's anyone who will be the you know an ideal blueprint for that, it would be Dai Li from Fowler. Next, the controversial election campaign in Fowler and what diverse candidates bring to Australian politics. Hi, to How are you going? I'm really well, thank you. I'm working from home, so it's always nice to be at home with the dogs. During the election, Vietnamese-Australian lawyer Tu Lee found herself at the centre of a controversy around race and representation in politics. It all had to do with the electorate of Fowler in southwest Sydney, where Tu grew up, and who would represent the Labor Party in this culturally diverse area. Can you tell me about the electorate that you live in and have a really close connection to Fowler? Where is it and what's special about it? I um, grew up in, in southwest Sydney and, and lived here all my life. Um, I live in a suburb called Canleyvale. Uh, people may know the, the next suburb over, which is Cabramatta, which is uh, often held as the little Vietnam in Sydney here. Um, and I think it's very telling when you walk down the street in this area that there is a, a high 
number of Vietnamese Australians who had settled here after the Vietnam War. Tu's connection to politics and the Labor Party started at university. I come from a working class family and I could see the, the benefits of um, socially minded policy to help those who are more vulnerable within our community. Um, and so things like superannuation, uh, more recently in the last decade or so, the NDIS, uh, Medicare, so free healthcare for all. Um, I think all these types of, sort of policies and the um, agenda of the Labor Party just really helped my family and my community, hence why I joined the party. While Tu was interested in politics, she couldn't imagine running, especially in federal politics. Part of the problem was that she had rarely seen an Australian politician who looked like her, let alone represent the multicultural electorate of Fowler. Coming from the the background I do, so uh, as a relatively young uh, Vietnamese Australian woman, so a woman of colour, and I think as a a lot of migrants, thought, you know, the makeup of our politics will always be quite white. And we never thought that people, um, you know, who have diverse backgrounds, whatever, really make it in politics. And I think that that was definitely the community sentiment. So you see local community members from diverse backgrounds, you know, running in local government, possibly state, but they never, ever think that, you know, federal politics is even an option. So there's a ceiling on it, really. Absolutely. There's a ceiling. Yeah, absolutely. There's a ceiling. Uh, you know, people call it the glass ceiling for women. It's definitely a bamboo ceiling. Whatever ceiling it is, people definitely feel like there are limitations to what they can do and what they can contribute. And I think that really speaks to the systemic you know, inequality that we have mm. and that the structures of within our institutions that keep diverse people or minorities and marginalised communities out of these systems. And I think politics is a prime example of that. But then in March 2021, more than a year out from the federal election, the long-standing federal member for Fowler, Chris Hayes, retired. He endorsed Tu Lee as the best Labor candidate to replace him. I think without the sponsorship and mentorship of the outgoing member, um, Chris Hayes, I don't think I would have personally thought that I would ever have the chance as well um, and that it was probably too big a dream um, to think that someone like me could ever run in federal politics. And I I think that comes down to what we see and what we often see across the board um, of late or well, as long as we can remember, uh, except for the latest election result, is that our federal parliament is made up of mainly middle-aged, you know, white men with very similar lived experiences. And so I think, you know, we often say you can't be what you can't see. Representation is extremely important. In the following months, Southwest Sydney would endure some of the harshest lockdown restrictions in the country as COVID cases and deaths skyrocketed. In the last two years, living uh, through COVID and lockdowns, and particularly because Southwest Sydney was subject to harsher lockdowns compared to other parts of Sydney, really just showed that our government didn't necessarily understand the communities and the local community here most definitely felt pretty abandoned and misunderstood. It felt like the harsh lockdown laws felt like a punishment. And you know, every time I left my home for the one hour of exercise every day, I would run into the police. I would see the police on the streets. And I think that could be very triggering in a community where uh, a lot of people had escaped you know, quite 
traumatic experiences with with civil war going on um, in their home country. So uh, I think that you know, at that point in time, strong local community representatives who stood up and spoke out um, for the community was really important. Two decided to run. But in September 2021, she got some startling news. As far as I was aware, I was the only person that publicly threw my hat in the ring. I only found out about the plans to install Christina Keneally from the media. So I heard about it the day before and then it was all over the news that Christina Keneally was going to be parachuted in. So there was no rank and file pre-selection process. It was a decision made by a head office I would have at least wanted an opportunity to prove myself to the local branch members. Um, So I I think that, yeah, in my case, it was a a bit of a shock and disappointment. For Labor, the decision to parachute Christina Keneally into the safe seat of Fowler avoided a Senate pre-selection skirmish with her right-wing colleague, Deb O'Neill. Labor leader Anthony Albanese supported the decision and defended it against criticisms that it was shutting the door to a rare candidate of colour. Christina Keneally was born in the United States, came to Australia and is another great Australian success story of a migrant who's come here and became the New South Wales Premier. Christina Keneally pointed to her extensive experience in politics as a former New South Wales Premier. They know me from my time as Premier and they're excited to have the opportunity to have a voice at the centre of government. Christina Keneally didn't live in the electorate of Fowler and even though she moved to South West Sydney after the announcement, her pre-selection continued to be controversial throughout the election campaign. Well, a move by factional power brokers in the Labor Party to parachute Senator Christina Keneally into the safe Western Sydney seat of Fowler has opened deep divisions within the Labor Party. All politics is local, they say, which is why there's been a big fuss about Christina Keneally being airlifted into the safe Labor seat of Fowler. For two, this feeling of being sidelined was familiar. I've experienced being sidelined in the past, so I I think when that all happened to me and people were like, you're taking this pretty well, I've been there before. Like, I've been sidelined by an older woman, uh, a whiter woman. It's it's just something that I've I've dealt with. I've had to prove myself, and oftentimes it doesn't work out for me, and it it didn't on this occasion. Um, And it's it can be disheartening, but I I think that it, it shouldn't be something that knocks you back and keeps you down. I think it's something that I've really then stood up and then really had to reflect. Um, And often it's not necessarily a reflection on you. It's on the environment that you work in or, you know, the people around you or just the the systems that are in place that keep people down. Following Labor's decision, Dai Lee, a local Vietnamese-Australian woman and former refugee, decided to run as an independent for the seat of Fowler. I think the Fowler community is saying, look, we're going to have our own voice. We're going to stand up. We're going to speak up for ourselves. Di had more than a decade of experience in politics, running as a candidate for the New South Wales Liberal Party in a 2008 by-election, serving on local council and as deputy mayor of Fairfield. But she had never been elected as a member of parliament. And in this safe Labor seat, her chances this election were seen as slim. So another surprise story from last night was Labor paying a heavy price in the previously safe southwestern Sydney seat of Fowler, where Christina Keneally is said to be defeated by the grassroots independent Di Lee. 
Her shock win over high-profile Labor politician Christina Keneally was one of the biggest upsets for the Labor Party this election. The seat saw a 16% swing against Labor, defying the national trend. Voters here say a big reason for this swing is that Labor didn't listen to them. Hey there. Um, uh, good, thank you. I'm a journal at The Guardian. Um, are you from this electorate by any chance? From Fowler? Did you vote? Yeah, you are. Oh, you, oh, you are? I'm just trying to get a sense of, like, why why it switched last weekend, uh, the election from Labor to the Independent, I think, Dai Lee. Yeah. Where does Christine Keneally come from? No, we, we don't know. Like, I don't know Like, that, she's from, I mean, like, she's the... She's like a white lady, though. White lady yeah. from the North Shore, what not? How can she represent this community? What does she know about Cabramatta? Yeah, probably because we're not familiar with Christine Keneally. You know, she, she does, doesn't look like a local. That's just my... I met her first time and she came pretty much on the station and started giving a pamphlet out, you know what I mean? So I was not aware of her. So yeah, that, that's one of the reasons why I think she, she lost it. Because um, when, you, when you come last minute to just hand out your pamphlet, that's not something which everyone, general public want. It's just, un, it's just illogical having someone who doesn't, didn't grow up here trying to represent and understand. There's no way that she can understand the like the fa- family dynamics and cultural struggle. So to clearly die ran a strong campaign here in Fowler, but is there a broader lesson to be learned from this result? Yeah, we, there are a lot of dis- lessons, I think, to be learned from this from all major parties is that you can't take local community voices for granted. What we can see from the overall election result is that racial diversity and people from diverse cultural backgrounds are electable. They always say, you know, after a loss that you need to do some soul searching, I think. And I'd like to hope that all major parties learn from this. And I think it was a very costly lesson for the Labor Party. Um, But sometimes, you know, you have to learn the hard way. And I really do hope that we don't make the same mistake again. What do you think about Dai Lee's campaign? Why is she a blueprint for multicultural candidates? Thorini? She worked hard. She campaigned for a car park in a community, became a councillor, spent 10 years on local council, became the deputy mayor. She's uh, run for state election. And then eventually she's run for federal election and she's gotten elected. And that is like over a decade of hard work. Do you think that the Labour Party or the Liberal Party or the Nationals will learn from this election after, you know, what happened in Fowler, a candidate was parachuted in and a local community candidate was selected in the end? Well, I certainly think the Liberal Party uh, made that mistake when they parachuted Warren Mundine into Gilmore, into the seat of Gilmore uh, in the previous federal election. Uh, They learned very quickly that that model didn't work. Mm. So it was quite surprising to see Labor make the same mistake three years down the track. You know, you would have thought that Labor might have learned from that lesson, but it just goes to show that Labor, they learned from from that experience um, the hard way. Mm. We've talked a lot about the problems. I want to talk about a bit about the solutions. I mean, the idea of quotas has been very fraught when we go to talk about gender parity in the parliament. Do we need to consider something like that in terms of cultural representation in the parties? What, what would you like to see to, for the next parliament to make it more diverse? The Labor Party introduced quotas in, I think, around 1994. 
And so that's why we've seen more representation, particularly of women. So they had an affirmative action mandate uh, since then. Um, I think it would be wonderful if the other major political parties, uh, certainly Liberals and Nationals, uh, also follow in Labor's footsteps. I think there's a large part of people that want to be politically engaged, but then they don't know how to, there's no funding to, you know, towards uh, their education. We need more civic and political literacy education. That's where money needs to go. We have so many people that have migrated to Australia that are new citizens. They've lived in Australia 10, 15 years and then get their citizenship and then they qualify to vote 10, 15 years of not having any sort of civic and political literacy engagement. Because if they don't know what is what, then how are we going to attract the right people into parties? How are we going to attract independence? You know, it is the age of independence after all. How are we going to even have a people of color running as independents if we don't provide a pathway for them to attain, to, to become another Dai Li in the future. I think there needs to be more support for education programs for Indigenous candidates, um, Indigenous people who are thinking of uh, running for office. We have an awful lot of very, very capable Indigenous people in business uh, and in Australian corporations. Also, that many leaders, Indigenous leaders in government organizations in this country. So it's not that we're lacking amazing Indigenous leaders in this country. What we're lacking is the educational pathways for them to transition from their existing leadership roles into a political leadership role. So to what would you say to other people from multicultural backgrounds who want to run next election? As a, a young woman of colour, there, there are certain barriers that I had to overcome and a lot of young people will have to overcome. Um, but I would just say that, you know, if you don't succeed the first time, it's not the end. Um, in, in my experience, you know, I, I see what has happened to me not necessarily as the end of my political career. I think it's a setback. But the real positive is that uh, I think that it's you know, changed um, or impacted in some way the discourse around diversity across this nation. And I often bring this back and say, you know, I'm actually really grateful for what happened to me. And because of Christina Keneally's high profile, <laughs> I've been given um, its platform. That was Tarini Rowett from Compel, Kat Hannaway from Politics and Colour, and Tuli. You can read more about diversity in the Australian Parliament at theguardian.com. There's also a really interesting piece by reporter Mustafa Raswani about the election results in Western Sydney, titled, They Wanted One of Their Own. Western Sydney election results show power of hyperlocal politics. We link to that and more on the full story page. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Jane Lee, Karishmali Thria and Joey Watson. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannon. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Mattagnoni, Gabrielle Jackson and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave a rating or a review. It does help other people find the show. Okay, catch you tomorrow.